Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. I'm your host, Sarita Visuasam. Thanks for joining us. Today's episode is part one of a three-part series on the world of illicit tobacco, where we explore the significant volume of product that is filtering through the state of Victoria. Joining us for part one of this series is Commander Greg Linsdell of the Australian Border Forces Illicit Tobacco Task Force. We take a look at how illicit tobacco is entering Australia and how it's been grown locally and distributed to retail consumers. Before we continue to keep up to date with all future Crime Stoppers Victoria podcasts, hit the follow or subscribe button on your podcast player. Here is our discussion with Commander Greg Linsdale of the Australian Border Force. It's terrific to speak with you today, Commander Linsdell. Thanks for joining the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. No worries, Aretha. Great to be here. That's great. We're, we're calling uh, from, from Melbourne and you're in, in Canberra. Uh, how are things going at, at present uh, with, with everything with, with the Australian Border Force? Oh, look, Australian Border Force, like, uh, like everyone, has had a tumultuous year, of course, because we were... Um, a big part of the, the closing of the international borders and uh, those initial repatriation flights out of China, which you may recall, we had a couple from uh, Wuhan, and uh, we were we were very uh, very engaged in those early, that initial response that has set us up um, so well as as a country, along you know with with many many other agencies, of course. But on, from our point of view, it's been it's been very busy and uh, hasn't really hasn't really let up. Um, and of course, like everyone else, we've also been doing the whole working from home and uh, and everything else during various lockdowns. So it's it's been a big year, but I'm sure that's what uh, that's been the experience of everyone. Mm. Yeah, it, it is fascinating to, to learn up as, from your perspective as well. In terms of uh, how things have evolved over the past few months or several months, what can you say uh, has changed at the ABF in relation to uh, to managing um, your workflow? Well, as a as a result of COVID, of course, international uh, passenger numbers have uh, have plummeted to just a fraction of of what they have been. But we've been uh, fully engaged in working with repatriation. Initially, we were involved with the cruise ships and uh, then the repatriation flights since then, of course. And um, there's been no let-up, in fact, an increase in uh, in many of the goods that are coming across 
the border, um, particularly in the in the international air cargo space, but uh, also sea cargo. And so, uh, yeah, we have been we've been we've been a lot busier than what you might think, given that we are a border agency. Uh, yeah, it, it is um, quite an interesting world uh, we're, we're living in at the moment, and and yeah, travel and and, and cargo and the like are all certainly um, areas of um, important focus. With um, yourself, uh, it would be great to learn about your career and uh, and what you do at the ABF. Yeah, sure. Look, um, I uh, my background is that I am uh, a Melbourne boy. Um, and uh, joined Victoria Police as a cadet back in the day, um, pre-internet. <laughs> and um, I, I had a, uh, over 20 years in in Victoria Police, and uh, which I enjoyed immensely. I spent quite a bit of that time in special operations, which for me was probably my uh, career uh, high, highlight or defining period of my uh, professional career. And um, since then, of course, I've come across to Australian Border Force, where I uh, I now manage a branch which includes the uh, Illicit uh, Tobacco Task Force. So um, that's a real privilege for me, and that's I guess that's what we'll be talking about uh, throughout the podcast with uh, with your viewers at home. That's right, and uh, Illicit Tobacco certainly is a is an area that uh, the general public may not have that level of familiarity about it. I'm sure. There are many consumers of illicit tobacco, but what's the best way to describe illicit tobacco for the benefit of our listeners? Look, uh, Saritha, I um, I started this job uh, in this role uh, about six months ago, wondering what the fuss was about tobacco, and I'm sure that many of um, you know our, our Crime Stoppers subscribers would probably be asking the, the same question. I, I know that um, Rowan. Pike uh, has, has probably expressed opinions on this program at some point, but um, I've been quite surprised. It is it is a much bigger problem, a much bigger social problem than what I had could possibly have imagined. Um, for the most part, uh, people who choose to buy illicit tobacco, so that's the stuff that's not legally sold in this country, are making a, a price-based Decision, but I'm con- I'm convinced that the vast majority of those have no idea of the of the implications of that decision. Um, it, there is no there is no um, legal production of tobacco in Australia, and so anything that uh, that um, is not sold through the official channels, if you like, uh, is illegal. And it's also it's illegal to um, sell it, supply it, cultivate it, and purchase it. So um, there's, a, there's a few points to be made within that. Um, one is because of its illegality, you can effectively liken it to other illicit trades such as drugs, and I'm not saying it is the same as drugs, but there are parallels in the sense that most, most if not all, people involved in that supply chain are engaged in criminal conduct. They know they're engaged in criminal conduct. And our experience has been that many of them are linked to serious organised crime. So, you know, our um, our main leading crime figures in Victoria and elsewhere across the country do not only deal in in uh, one commodity or commodity or another. And tobacco is quite an attractive way of getting uh, an income for them. So they're making a lot of money off 
off the sales to uh, you know our unsuspecting smokers, and they're using that money for other purposes, either their their self um, to improve their own financial position, but quite often they're putting that into other legal ventures such as drugs, um, etc. So there's that there's that initial piece, which you know I'm really um, glad to be able to talk to about talk to you about that today because I just don't think that most Australians understand that the money that they are putting over, whilst they're saving, you know, quite a few dollars on that purchase, they're putting money directly into the pockets of serious organised crime in this country. So there is a social harm in that decision. It means that we're empowering those criminal entities to commit further crime and making them rich, but we're also putting money into a black economy. So that means that the um, that all of us, and I mean every Australian citizen, is that much worse off because there is no tax being paid, there's no duties being paid, and that and that is money that would otherwise go into um, you know good uh, services that benefit us all, whether that's health or or wherever the education or wherever that money would normally be directed. So I know um, it's the Australian Tax Office say that it's a the tax gap, the amount of money that's not being recouped, is something like $822 million, um, per year, which is not um, is not as large as you might think. But I'd just encourage um, encourage your um, listeners to, to realise that that's just one part and perhaps a, a, a relatively small part of the overall social harm. Okay, so the money is not going into the system. That's a problem. But more importantly... It's fueling other social harms, and um, and that's a real issue for us. And I think finally, just on that point, is that I think most people who are, are buying cheap smokes, as they uh, would would like to think they are, um, are actually um, committing a criminal act. And uh, you know, I'm pretty pretty confident that once people sit down and think about that, they um, they may reconsider that decision. For the sake of a few dollars, or you know, and it's not uh, it's not um, three or four dollars. We're talking, you know, ten, ten, fifteen dollars a pack difference, um, more often than not. Um, but to, to save that money, you are actually committing a criminal act. Now, um, that's a decision that everyone has to take and be comfortable with. And I hope, I really hope that many people will will reconsider that. That's a very interesting point, sir. Uh there, Commander. As far as the question of uh, why these operations exist, you look at um, the other crimes that you mentioned that these organised crime networks undertake, like drugs and and other criminal acts. Is tobacco, uh, dealing in illicit tobacco, cultivating and, and selling it, something that is easier to get away with for these groups? Um, I well, my uh, my team of, uh, of of detectives and uh, and the ITTF, which is a multi agency task force. We work with the Australian Tax Office, we work with um, Austrac, and we work with uh, the Australian Criminal Intelligence um, uh, Agency as well as um, as other agencies. We bring a lot of power to the to the enforcement uh, spectrum in terms of illicit tobacco. So um, I don't think it's easy to get away with, but it's uh, it's a numbers game. We are targeting the, the big end players and we bring the full force of the law to those. 
And what I mean by that is we'll, we are catching people importing large quantities of tobacco or selling or distributing large quantities, but they are finding that they are um, also uh, being, are coming under the close scrutiny of the tax office, that they're having their assets confiscated um, and that we're often exposing other illegal activities such as frauds that they are involved in. So um, people, there are obviously people getting away with it because the market continues to exist, but, for the, but we are working hard to identify and uh, bring to justice those people that, uh, that we can at that top end and um, they're feeling they're feeling it, um, and people are getting jail time. We had a 48-year-old uh, Melbourne woman uh, jail for three years just last month. Uh, you'll find that in the in the Herald Sun and other and other publications. Um, but uh, and that was for that was for not importing, but for d- distributing um, illicit tobacco across Australia from a, from a uh, an operation, illegal operation here in. Well, they're in in Melbourne, so um, that's a significant that's a significant jail time, and uh, you know you can get up to ten years for this. Um, so uh, there's a lot of reasons for people not to be not to, not to be involved in it. Um, but of course, where there's money, and and the, you'll see there'll be greed, and greed motivates people to to break the law across any any commodity, any opportunity. So um, you know, we've got a, a battle on our hands. Yeah, it's just quite uh, interesting to, to learn about. So how is the tobacco entering the country? It gets here um, gets here through a variety of means. The, um, the biggest importations, of course, will come through in containers. And, uh, you know, we work, uh, we work internationally with other, with partner agencies, and we've got quite sophisticated ways of identifying Container loads and and part container loads that contain tobacco, either uh, in sticks or in loose leaf, and uh, we've got a pretty good success rate. We um, we do detect an awful lot of of that tobacco in any any given year, but um, that's uh, that's one aspect. The other aspect is it will come in through air cargo or through uh, international. Mail, not in not in the same quantities, but um, but in those categories, nevertheless. There was a time not that long ago when passengers could bring in tobacco, and of course this year, uh, this legally and illegally, but that those numbers have gone right down this year, of course, due to due to COVID. And uh, about just over twelve months ago, the limit on the number and the amount of tobacco that people could bring in was reduced way down to just. Um, uh, Essentially, two packets, one open, one um, one sealed, maximum of fifty sticks. So that's that's not a lot. Um, but the days of bringing a suitcase full of uh, cigarettes in through uh, international um, have are behind us. But of course, people are trying to find other ways to bring it in. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting one because when you go through duty free, you see all these cigarette stands and and they're quite elaborate setups and and then the thought of having to only be able to take one packet through like it, it, there does seem to be a bit of a of a misalignment there well i think it's um i think that's just while people uh, get used to it you remember the days when after 9 11 when we uh 
when people would rock up and, you know, it's easy to forget you've got a pair of nail scissors or something in your in your bag and you have to surrender it. So we were seeing a lot of that. It takes a little bit of time, for, especially people who are travelling frequently, to uh, to get used to new regulations. I would expect that it won't be, wouldn't be too long before people uh, know and understand the limits on importing uh, tobacco as a as a passenger, and of course we've got offices and uh, and uh, methods of identifying people that are bringing a lot of tobacco in with them. And uh, pre-COVID, of course, we were we were finding quite a lot of them. Um, so um, I think last financial year, uh, ABF uh, detected about 432 million uh, illicit cigarette sticks um, coming into the country through various means and about 177 tonnes of loose leaf uh, coming in. And, and our work, uh, we've done a lot of work with the uh, ATO who also work in the domestic cultivation. So that's the, where people grow tobacco in Australia and produce it. So there's been a lot of work. We've had a lot of success in that space. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. As far as growth of tobacco in Australia is concerned, is that an area that is growing or is, is there the level of growth, has that changed over the years? Look, it's um, it's hard to give you a definitive answer. Our sense is that uh, there has been a, a growth um, in domestic cultivation of tobacco. So for your listeners, um, you need a, it's, you do need to have a licence to grow tobacco in Australia, and no licences have been granted since 2006. So um, to, tobacco is a large leafy plant that uh, if you see it, and, um, and I'm calling out to a lot of you, especially your rural uh, listeners, when you see it, it is unusual to see it planted. It's usually um, planted away from the street. So if, you, if you're travelling down a back road or if you have reason to be on a property, you might be a real estate agent, a water carrier, um, or uh, checking the power meter or whatever, and you see a big leafy plant that looks very unusual. Um, it's worth taking a photograph of that and uh, sending it through to um, Border Watch or Crime Stopper uh, um, uh, hotlines on uh, online on uh, online uh, because um, it is being grown in our rural areas, and we do think it's uh, we do think it's growing. We would um, there's a few reasons why that might be the case, but um, we're keen to identify as much uh, illicit tobacco growth as we can because we will act um, quite decisively in, in those circumstances when it comes to our notice. Um, it, it's never legal to grow it. And I think for your country listeners, um, you know, the it's not just – these are not struggling uh, struggling farmers who – are planting an alternate crop to, to make a living. Um, these are people who are usually coming, usually associated with larger crime, criminal enterprises uh, in a metropolitan setting. They are leasing property in rural areas and uh, they, are, they are planting it out using illegal labour, paying cash. Um, so there's, there's labour exploitation going on and then typically they are uh, using quite often they're using water that they're diverting from local water sources illegally or they may have uh, water on the property if they've uh, managed to achieve that and using pesticides and other 
chemicals which are, are potentially damaging to not just the um, the tobacco plant, but um, and those that would smoke it, but also to the land itself. So they they come in to exploit that land and and essentially exploit the community because what they're doing is taking from it and giving nothing back. Um, the the people that are working are often seasonal workers who may are uh, quite often working outside their visa conditions. Um, so look, it's uh, I'd, I'd really encourage your rural rural listeners to to be on the lookout for it, and um, you'll find Border Watch online or the ATO um, have a, a, a um, tip off hotline as well as Crime Stoppers. Any of these avenues, we'd be more than happy to hear of uh, any suspected uh, cultivation sites for illicit tobacco. Mm, well, that's great, and, and yeah, certainly we encourage our listeners. To, to do that because uh yeah it is it, it is if you're seeing something unusual then you're probably onto something yeah that's right i mean uh, if it doesn't look right it's probably not um and I, I know um i know that in our rural areas uh and rural watch uh in in other areas there is a high a high degree of uh, community awareness of what's What's going on? What's legit and what's not? So um, I would just say, and uh, and it's likely that your listeners are quite quite uh, keen to be a part of the solution. Um, you know, don't hesitate. There's no harm in taking a photo, giving us some coordinates or a street uh, uh, location, and uh, and we'll check it out. Um, most all of those tip-off lines are anonymous. And um, there's no need to do more than just let us know the location if uh, if you choose not to. Well, that's great. Well, it'll be interesting to know that uh, have you received many tip offs from the community, and uh, and when what outcomes have come from um, any such tips? Look, the vast majority of our successes do come in terms of domestic production uh, cultivation do come from community tip offs. So. Um, it's, it is the it is the local resident or the or the service provider that sees something, and fortunately for us, identifies it uh, for what it is. Um, not everyone uh, not everyone can do that. A, a quick Google search will show you what a what a uh, tobacco plant looks like. Um, they are quite distinctive. They grow uh, reasonably quickly, depending on where you are. Uh, in in Victoria, you know, growing season is pretty much now through to Easter, and um, and you know there are probably uh, many crops in in place uh, right now, and we'd like to hear about them. Well, yeah, that that's um, what's handy timing for us having this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, illicit tobacco task force uh, from the ABF. What can you say about its genesis and uh, and how has it evolved over the years to to be able to really um, stamp out um, or, or really limit the uh, circulation of uh, illicit tobacco across the country? So um, the illicit tobacco task force uh, is is led by the ABF and was established um, midway through 2018. So it came came about uh, under the under a broader uh, Black Economy Standing Task Force construct, um, and it was basically the uh, like the Al Capone 
solution to uh, tobacco, it was recognised that uh, no single agency uh, could bring uh, to have, have full effect. And so there was a bringing together of key agencies. So, you know, as I mentioned, we have uh, Austrac, uh, we have uh, the Australian Tax Office, um, the, the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission, and um, as well as the, the Commonwealth Prosecution Prosecutor, um, all working together with ourselves and in the formal construct. But and then, as a construct, we work with state and territory police forces. So we are regularly working with Victoria Police, who have been outstanding in their commitment to to um, bring you know illicit tobacco to a halt because I'm sure that uh, that those um, that those senior officers that are deploying Victoria Police to this recognise the threat it poses to the broader community in terms of serious or funding serious organised crime. So um, in that time we have um, we've made a lot of headway. We've uh, identified and prosecuted many uh, serious syndicates and uh, and we're continuing to do that on a on a daily basis. That's really good to hear. With uh, the current climate, with international travel um, reduced uh, this year, and, and I'm not sure with, with cargo volumes uh, whether they've increased or decreased, but how has the dynamic changed for your task force this year? I think um, we've managed to uh, to keep on. In fact, um, the last quarter, uh, which was, you know, well, well in the COVID space was our most um, most productive in terms of detections and uh, arrests that we've had to date. So we've managed to continue on unabated, being having limitations on travel and particularly with the the uh, Melbourne lockdown recently. Of course, that's that's curtailed our activities in in Victoria. Um, there's no doubt about that. But we, you know, we've got teams out and about as I speak, um, because, you know, we've been, when we haven't been able to get out, we've been doing the groundwork to enable us to get these operations kicked off and, and active as soon as the travel or movement restrictions are eased. Wow, that's good. That's good. And in terms of Australia, are there certain states which have a greater level of um, activity in, in, in the illicit space? Oh, look, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to, to create a league table of uh, states' activity in this space. I certainly, um, in terms of uh, importation, of course, in the greatest amount of importation comes in through the biggest ports. So um, Sydney, Mel Sydney, Melbourne, of course, are the by far and away the greatest entry points for containers generally in in Australia, and um, Sydney for uh, air cargo in particular. Um, so that's where we see a lot of our focus in terms of um, domestic production. We see that all up and all up and down the uh, uh, the, the coastline. So um, there is it doesn't seem to be geographically restricted. Of course, there are some areas that favour it more than others. Uh, some areas that have a history of legitimate tobacco production, of course, which which. Um, so, uh, has lent itself to greater focus from our point of view, but we see it from uh, from way north right down, you know, through to to uh, south southern Victoria. Okay, well, yeah, that, that's quite fascinating. As far as um, the 
consumers are concerned, the proliferation of uh, illicit tobacco across the, 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 the country could be uh, attributable partly to the rising prices of cigarettes. What yep. can you say about the um, the consumers um, choosing to adopt uh, opt for this product as opposed to your your your, your, your actual manufacturers who are legal operators? Yeah, look, I think um, it's a it's a good point. Although we see in in some other countries such as Malaysia where there is um, the the taxes are nowhere near uh, at the level that we have in Australia. In Australia, from from a health point of view, is is at the forefront of trying to uh, change uh, people's health-related behaviours, um, and they and these taxes are a part of that, of course. But uh, nevertheless, when you go to other countries where the taxes aren't as high, we see the same or higher levels of illicit tobacco. So that's not the only thing that's going on here. Um, there is a there are people who will try and save money no matter what the difference and I think at the end of the day it's a choice um, and I my my view is that uh, the only way this problem will go away completely it could disappear tomorrow if there was no market for it so in other words if all those people who are today prepared to buy this tobacco made a decision effective tomorrow I will no longer buy that stuff it that's it end of story there is no more illicit tobacco coming in. We starve serious and organised crime in this country. We let local businesses get back on on um, on with their business because they're the other victims in this is a lot of our, our legitimate corner stores and retailers who are selling legitimate duty-paid tobacco products are taking a big hit. And for many of them, it's not an insignificant amount of their of their income. So they're hurting. And at this time, you know, when we're coming from the, the economic recovery from COVID, um, you know, think about, yeah, think about the, the uh, local owner of the, of the store who, you know, his, their income is, is being impacted by that decision as well. So, you know, when we talk about social harm, the power, it's within the power of every smoker to, make the decision to support this industry, this illegal and socially harmful industry, or not. And, um, you know, I know that, um, I know for some people every dollar dollar counts and, uh, you know, each, everyone will, different people will make different decisions. But from where I sit, um, I just implore, you, implore people to make that socially responsible decision for themselves, their kids, your neighbours, Local businesses, and uh, you know, and buy buy legal. Mm. Well, it, it's um, it's good to to hear from you in relation to uh, to this and, and the difference between uh, going for either type of product being illicit versus the legal option. Mm. With uh, you, you, you touched on it, yeah, just a moment ago with retail owners, uh, store owners who sell legal tobacco. Uh, when I spoke with Rowan in a previous conversation, he was uh, mentioned that these businesses have uh, been the targets of uh, of thieves or, or robberies in terms of um, the cigarettes that they they store in their in in their shops. Can you say that um, given the price 
the value of cigarettes being greater now, given its increased price, that um, that has influenced um, this increase in crime? Uh, I, I, um, I couldn't answer that because those are the crime, those crimes will be reported to uh, to local police, and I think you know Victoria Police would be in a much better position to to give you an indication on that. I'd be uh, really be be uh, unable to give you a, a categoric answer. Um, but I guess um, I guess the the other point is um, for those a lot of people will will want to know. I guess you know how do we know what's legal and what's illegal? We go into a shop, etc. And I think there's a few things that that we would ask uh, smokers to look for. Those that want to do the right thing. Um, one of the first and foremost, of course, is the the, the packaging. So all Australian cigarettes. Um, and tobacco products uh, will have the plain paper packaging. They'll have the health warnings, the, the graphics uh, on them. It is quite distinctive. And um, most, but not all, of illegal tobacco products won't have that. Um, so they, some of them are legitimate overseas brands, and so they will, but they're still packaged in, you know, the old-fashioned um, pre-plain packaging legislation Paper, so um, yeah, that's a dead giveaway from the outset. Um, but even uh, those uh, same criminals are awake to this and putting stuff into stuff into packaging that looks very similar to the plain paper packaging. But I guess the other giveaway is um, you know that price point. So duty on cigarettes is uh, you know just over a dollar, a dollar ten per stick. So if you can get a pack of twenty five uh, cigarettes for less than twenty seven dollars. Dollars fifty, then you know that duty hasn't been paid because that's a loss-making sale if duty has been paid. So um, there's two two dead giveaways. If the price is too good to be true, it's you know it's not true. It means it is illegal, and you can be very confident of that. And I guess the third thing is just the manner of the sale. So if you're walking into a shop, a gift shop, or any other place. Um, and you're saying, have you got any cheap smokes? Let's all let's face it. What you are actually asking, you know, that you are asking for uh, something that's not above board, because you know that if there is a discount, it'll be it'll be advertised, etc. Um, and those cigarettes will be not pulled out of the locked cabinets where all of the legitimate cigarettes uh, are housed. They'll be pulled out from under a counter or out of a box or uh, a cupboard. And probably put into a black bag so that you don't attract too much attention when you leave. Oh. You know, it looks dodgy because it is dodgy. And if you're involved in that transaction, you know, let's not kid ourselves. You know that you know that this is not an above the board uh, transaction. So look, there's, there's three, those three things. The the packaging's a dead giveaway every time. The price point, if it's too good, if the price is too cheap to be true, it's not true. It means it's illegal. And then there's that manner of of sales, so um, there is really no legitimate excuse for anyone that would say, "Oh, but I didn't know they were illegal." Um, you know, you could run that that defence if it came down to it. But seriously, uh, let's not kid ourselves. We you you do know, and on the basis that you know, just make the right decision. Don't break the law and uh, help everyone out. Mm, 
Yeah, well, uh, it's quite um, handy to have that those tips. In in terms of illicit tobacco, uh, if you're buying an illicit an illicit packet, I'm guessing that it doesn't go through any quality checking mechanisms that say your your legal smokes would. Yeah, that's right. Um, there has been work done in that in that space. I'm not qualified to talk about. It. I can tell you, uh, I can repeat what I what I have read, and that is that there, you know we we know, and as I mentioned with domestic cultivation, um, people are there. Make no mistake that people are there to make money. They are not concerned and do not have to comply with health and other quality regulations. So. Um, your product is likely to be contaminated with pesticides or or other products that make it grow quickly and uh, free from disease and and pests. Um, the stuff that comes in from overseas, it's been found to be contaminated with all sorts of you know chicken feathers and um, you know all sorts of animal uh, droppings etc. Um, all very unpleasant, but. Um, You've also got then the question of the quality of filters and, believe it or not, the paper. Um, you know, the paper that's used for Australian cigarettes uh, has to have a certain burn rate, and that's a safety issue. Um, you you may not be old enough to remember the day when uh, when it was not uncommon to hear of people dying in house fires started by uh, cigarettes. Um, those days have gone largely because or reduced at least, largely because of the type of paper that's used. The ones that come in, you know, don't have, they don't have to do that. And, uh, you know, the paper can burn hot and fast. Um, and so there is that kind of risk as well. But, um, you know, I think um, it's it's an issue. It's it's not as safe uh, or it's it's uh, it's less safe than uh, than going with a legitimate product. That's There's no doubt of that. Mm, that, that's um, that's good for us for us to learn. You mentioned earlier organised crime, uh, you know, being a major player in in this space. As far as hauls that you've made um, as part of the illicit tobacco task force are concerned, have there been what else have you found when you've done a, a search on a property or, or, or made a big big seizure uh, in, in terms of other criminal possessions that they might have? Yeah, so it's not uncommon to um, for the people that are involved in uh, the illicit importation, cultivation, sale or supply of tobacco to be involved in other activities. Um, so it's, it's we do find from time to time we'll find drugs. Um, that has happened Um on several occasions that I'm aware of in the short time that I've been here, firearms, uh, etc., and in and and at various points because the whole activity is illegal, we quite often will find people who are workers that are being exploited. So they're either being paid um, cash at very low levels, um, or they are working outside of their visa conditions, which makes uh, which you know puts them in a precarious position. Um, so there are there are sort of victims all along, all along the way in this in this space. But um, yeah, so I think um, it's it's mostly uh, the associations that we've found are mostly with with harder drugs um, and potentially with uh, crimes of violence. And in terms of the 
operations of these illicit tobacco syndicates, uh, are they working uh, solely in one state or they're working across multiple states or, or across the country? It varies. Um, the the, um, the woman that we arrested in uh, Victoria um, or who was convicted last month uh, was operating a nationwide uh, supply chain. That's uh, less common. It's more common uh, that things that it will be distributed in a, in a smaller network. But uh, there is quite a bit of interstate movement. COVID, once again, has impacted on that. It's been harder for people for uh, product generally to get across borders. There's a much less illicit uh, illicit product. But, uh, yeah, so there's a mix. Um, we've got players from, uh, from you know, local sort of um, lounge room enterprises through to people renting factories, buying cigarette uh, rolling machines and going the whole the whole uh, business into into large scale production. Wow, that, that's a that, that's pretty uh, sophisticated. With uh, your international uh, seizures, sorry, what are sort of the relationships you have with other border forces across the world uh, in terms of being able to um, not get these uh, this product in the country? So we look, we're working. Um, we've developed good working relationships with other countries, and um, you know I don't want to start naming countries because um, unfortunately there'll be uh, not everyone not everyone listening to this will be on the right side of the law. But um, we do have we have good working relationship with a number of countries, and uh, this is an issue across uh, well it's across the world really. Um, we've got our our counterparts in the UK are dealing with um, illicit tobacco of similar scale with similar links to crime um, there. Uh, and uh, so we, we work closely with our UK counterparts, for example, in terms of tactics uh, and intelligence sharing. But um, we are also working closely with all, all of our, or not all of the ASEAN uh, member states who are all affected to some degree or another uh, by illicit tobacco. It's uh, You'd be surprised uh, how broad it is. Um, and it sort of goes to those who would say that uh, it's just uh, our tax regime that's created this problem. Um, that's not entirely true because uh, those tax regimes don't exist in every country or they do to differing d- degrees, and yet all of these countries are... Uh, finding that the illegal sale of tobacco is being exploited by by criminal groups, criminal enterprises. Mm, that, that, that's quite an interesting uh, connection as far as uh, it's mm. still being a problem irrespective of the tax. Yeah. Yeah, look, it, um, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, our criminal adversaries, um, they if they see a market, they'll exploit it and... You know, tobacco is one of those things, and I think they've been able to get as far as they have because of, like yourself, perhaps at the start of the interview, and myself when I came to this job, it's like tobacco, you know, what's the, how bad could it be? It's only when you scratch the surface and begin to understand what lies beneath that transaction um, that you realise the, the scale and the and the social harm that's done in so many ways uh, as a consequence of that those illicit sales. Mm, yeah, yeah, it is. It's quite it's quite uh, remarkable. As far as the detections you make on shipping containers with illicit tobacco, 
how are they uh, detected and in, in what sort of, uh, uh, how are they delivered and in what are they hidden within? Yeah, so we've um, we've seen some qu- quite some ingenious ways of concealing illicit tobacco cargoes. On many of them, um, it's not uncommon to get a uh, container that is just uh, floor to ceiling, wall to wall packets of illicit tobacco. Um, no attempt to disguise it, just packed in there and pushed through. I guess in the hope that it, um, that it won't be picked up. So, um, you know, I won't go into the um, the methods by which we identify which containers are which, uh, because that would uh, sort of inform, you know, our criminal adversaries. But um, what we have seen is that some some incredible ways um, of concealing these within parts of machinery, um, wrapped in lead, for example. Um, we've seen uh, all manner. Uh, more recently, uh, there's been a lot of stuff coming through in furniture, so within the panels of a wooden hollow core door all of the all of the internal parts are just packed with tobacco products so um we are and we are seeing a lot more effort put into that which um you know we're doing the we're doing an analysis at the moment of what this means but my sense is that it it suggests that uh people are our criminal adversaries are finding it harder to get through get through the border and they're going to greater effort. The fact that they're going to greater effort means um, that they feel they need to. So um, just like uh, any illicit commodity, um, they will try and beat the system. Um, but, you know, we are we are detecting more than ever uh, as we go through. So uh, I'd like to think that we're keeping pace with those changes and evolving as our adversaries evolve. Uh, but it's it's a battle that will really only stop when people stop buying illicit tobacco. Mm. Yeah, well, it's quite fascinating to, to learn uh, those, those particular ways that the criminals have, have done uh, their concealment. Can you draw any parallels with how drugs are concealed in, in their method of delivery? Well, uh, it's obviously it's a different commodity, so it doesn't lend itself to... Um, to many of the things that we see with drugs. So we often see drugs diluted and, and in, into a liquid form and, um, you know, we've seen fabrics impregnated with, uh, with a liquid, um, with a liquid uh, drug, uh, et cetera. So we see some, some forms of concealment in drugs that just don't work in tobacco. Tobacco is a leafy vegetable matter that uh, there's only so much you can do with it. So, so it's very different in that perspective but I guess um, you know the border is uh, is the the funnel if you like wherever it's coming from in the world there is the uh, the border that has to be crossed and uh, we're working hard every day to make sure that that is as difficult as possible for everyone that wants to try and uh, inflict harm on our country yeah well that, that's that's great to hear and uh, and yeah very very interesting. And as far as um, other forms of tobacco, molasses tobacco, I believe, uh, like the shisha, that, that's considered illicit? Uh, any tobacco that uh, that hasn't had the duty paid on it, um, yes. So, um, so tobacco that's used in molasses tobacco for shisha uh, that's been imported without duty paid, absolutely. Um, so uh, there are there are legal imports, but um, you know, quite often it's not, more often than not. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's that's interesting to note. And as far as the uh, the future is concerned uh, in in this space, um, in, in curtailing the uh, the illicit tobacco market, what can you say? Uh, how can you say it sort of looks? And and what what do you believe um, will be done from from your team and in trying to uh, reduce its uh, volume? Look, we um, we're absolutely committed to uh, to working on that. That 20% of criminals that are delivering 80% of the of the harmful effect, and um, that's where the focus of the illicit tobacco task force will will remain. And what I'm seeing, um, and the fact that we're having this conversation today, is that that our um, that local businesses are being affected, that the community is waking up to the fact that this is a, a significant social uh, harm and is a concern to and should be a concern to everyone. And I see. These factors coming together to um, to galvanise greater and, and more coordinated action across the country on on this issue. But you know, I think at the end of the day, uh, it's it comes down to to consumers uh, and making that that decision. So you know, for everyone that's listening, if you don't smoke yourself, but you know someone that does, just have a chat with them and uh, and talk to them about what that decision means more broadly and. Uh, we can, as a community, uh, we can we can wipe it out overnight and save save a huge amount of money that's being invested every day into enforcement activities. Mm. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's pretty good to hear that we can all play a role in uh, helping um, eliminate this this industry. Um, it's been terrific to chat with you today, Commander Linsdale. Are there, are there any final thoughts you you had to uh, to share with us, uh, or anything else that we might not have covered that you'd like to mention? No, look, I th- oh, thanks, um, thanks, Aretha. I think uh, it's been great to chat with you and uh, to be able to share what I've learned over the last six months about this about this issue. And um, you know, hopefully, the the word will get out and uh, through your listeners and uh, and other means that this is a problem that we have the power to solve. And unlike drugs um, and and other illicit commodities, there is a legal option. You know, it's it's just as easy, if not easier. It's just as easy, if not easier, to buy legally. Um, so, you know, it's not. It's easy to solve if we can if we can capture people's um, uh, imagination as to uh, getting involved in in the solution. That, that that's right, and uh, yeah, well, very good to hear. So, uh, with once again, thanks so much for your time, and uh, it's been terrific to chat with you. Thanks very much. Hope you've enjoyed our discussion with Commander Greg Linsdell of the Australian Border Force. Part two of our illicit tobacco series continues with illicit trade detection expert Rowan Pike joining us for the discussion. Thank you for listening to the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 